Hello, and how do you do, sports fans? Uh, welcome to episode four of Trib Sports Radio. I'm your host, Ben Raskin, uh, recording this live from the seventh floor of the Salt Lake Tribune offices on the 2nd of June, 2014. Uh, it's a little bit of a, we took a little bit of a different uh, approach to the show today. Uh, what we ended up doing is kind of uh, fired up the mics a little bit in the middle of a conversation uh, with a beat reporter of the U of U, Matthew Piper. Unfortunately, Aaron Falk wasn't able to join us today. He was out on assignment uh, covering the Utah Jazz. Um, make sure, get on YouTube, um, pardon me, get on iTunes or go to the Salt Lake Tribune to uh, subscribe to the show and give us a nice review on iTunes. Uh, the reviews and comments definitely help us. And, of course, we're still doing a contest with the hashtag burgers. If you uh, throw that in there, we'll put you in for a raffle that we'll be giving away some stuff shortly. Uh, of course, today, Chris Combrani was able to join us a little later in the conversation. Uh, he talked some RSL. Uh, Kevin, me, and uh, Matt, we did a little talking about uh, basically more of the life of the beat reporter and what it takes to write good stories and what makes an accomplished sports reporter. So uh, hopefully you enjoy listening to that. All comments, send it, send us away vis-a-vis the Twitter. You know where to find us. And uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Not too quiet. Not too quiet. So what were you saying, Matt? What was I saying? That's a good question. Um, you, you were saying... Okay, yeah, so, so as I get a little bit older... You, yeah. yeah, you were saying about you kind of cheer for the players instead of the jerseys. Yeah, and I don't know if that's a universal thing or if that's just me, but when I was younger, it was sort of cut and dry. He was either wearing the jersey of the, you know, the team that I liked or he wasn't. And I think maybe that's this is a result, too, of having covered these teams. Is You realize that it's just a random group of guys at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, I, for for – fairly uninformed reasons I, I sort of decide which guys I like best now you know I I like Kevin Durant now I like him even more after seeing that MVP speech that he gave yeah uh you know Kevin Durant could be a horrible person for all I know yeah. you know I, I don't really know him but from what I've seen I he seems like a pretty good guy and he seems to sort of have the same values as me and you know now I am not an Oklahoma Thunder fan. There are players on that team that I, I don't like to watch yeah. as much, but I want to see Kevin Durant do well. And that's changed. When I was younger, it wasn't really about that. It was about, you know, having the, the Cubs win or the, the Pittsburgh Penguins win. Or Yeah, you'd pick. Yeah. You know, and I, I, what you guys were talking about earlier is like what, what a dream beat would be with covering the Cubs. Like, you know, as much as I love the Padres, do you want to see – you know, guys get arrested or, you know, no, you, kind do, of you the don't want to see how the sausage is made. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I, I think that, you know, if you're a reporter who's doing your job as well as you can, you did you, you start to to ask those tougher questions, you know, it, you know, for like Trevor Hoffman, you know, why was he good for so long? As a fan, you just want to believe, well, because he was just good because he was a god. Right. Because you know? he's Trevor Hoffman. But then you know as a reporter there are questions you have to start asking and and maybe it is maybe there was something that you know you don't want to really know and and trevor i'm just using him as an example i know nothing about anything with trevor hoffman but you know you don't you don't want to know you want him to stay at that high level in your mind um and you know so that's why as a cubs fan i would never want to cover the cubs i i don't want to know i i I just don't well here's part of it too is you start to realize 
or I've started to realize as I've gotten older and as I've covered these teams that these guys don't necessarily care about being a Chicago Cub. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. when you're younger and, and maybe if you're just not paying that close attention or, or putting yourself in these guys shoes, uh, you, you sort of feel like like these guys are on your team. But yeah. these guys are all free agents and they're doing what's best for themselves and their families. And and I, when when you really start to realize that it, it stops being so important what jersey they're wearing. Right. Well, it, that it, was the thing that really got me yeah. the most is that I bought a Paul Millsap jersey like four years ago, and when he gets traded to the Hawks, you know, it's just like what like WTF? Like I thought you were our guy, Paul. I thought you were going to be we'd be hanging your name up in the rafters, right. you know. But as it turns out, it's like they just offered him what four more million dollars a year, yeah. and that was enough. And yeah. you know, it's not saying anything against Paul uh, you know, as, as an individual because he's a businessman, he's a brand, he's. He's a professional athlete, and part of that is he has to go out and hammer checks. You yeah. Know? And if the Jazz can't honor it, you know, sort of damn be the fan on that. Yeah, there, it's interesting because over the weekend there was a, a kid who I covered in high school when I when I was working in Missouri, and uh, he was a he was a pitcher on his high school team, and he wasn't even that he, he was good, but he wasn't the type of kid where you're like, whoa, that kid's gonna be awesome. Uh, he went to the college in the town um, in in Missouri in Cape Girardeau. He went to Southeast Missouri State. And still, it was a kid you were like, okay, you know, yeah, he's decent. You know, he, he does okay. But you never were like, oh, he's going to be awesome. This weekend, he got called up by the Braves. And uh, first game, he uh, he gets a hold. Uh, that was uh, um, Saturday. Yeah. Sunday, they bring him in and he gets a save. Wow. You know, his first two games. And and this kid, as a, if you're a Braves fan, you don't know this kid. You're like, yeah, Shea Simmons is one of us. You know, go Shea Simmons. But me... I know the kid grew up in southeast Missouri. The kid's a Cardinals fan. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, it, but you don't, until you really get to, until you actually think about it in those terms, you're like, oh, he's one of us. You know, he came up through the farm system. He's going to be one of us forever. He's going to be our closer of the future. As a Braves fan, that's what you're thinking. But, you know, the, the kid himself, he has no attachment to the Braves. They, they pay him. That, well, it's, that's it's, why. It's Johnny Damon leaving in 2000. Was it 2006 to go to the Yankees? Yeah, when yeah. he went to the Yankees. Yeah, right? you know, I mean, leaving, the, leaving Boston for supposed to be the biggest rivalry in any sport. And you know what? It's a check, you know? But, but even still, Johnny Damon didn't come up with the Red Sox. No. He got, to, you know, he, he didn't he start a, his career with them. He was so with Oakland for a while. Right, yeah. exactly. So you're like, oh, Johnny Damon, how could you, you know, how could you stab us in the back like that? What do you think the Oakland fans are saying? You know, it, it, he's from Kansas. I mean, he's a guy from right. Kansas. You, you think he really, he really had, you know, I don't know. Maybe you, you grow and you develop a chemistry with the fans. You know, I'm sure Stockton Malone, there, there is definitely a sense of, um, of pride in being jazz, but you have to look at how long they were here. You know, when you're talking about guys, especially now in the in with free agency, it's so easy to leave because you go, you want to get paid. You're looking to to take care of your family down the road. Well, you know, Malone got absolutely just put to the ringer when he went to the Lakers on that one year. And but at the end of the day, he's still a Jazz man because of what his how much what was his tenure here? Eighteen years, right? Some, I mean, something long out, time, long time, and he jumps to the dreaded Lakers. And I, you know, with the pay cut, you know, he wants the exclamation point on a career. You he know? wants and the he ring. Wants him and it's him, yeah. you know, and it's not like Malone's a bad dude. No one's saying that. It's just that it's where do you have these loyalties with? You right. Know? And, and so as a reporter, you go to these games, you're covering them and stuff. And it's like what Matt was saying before we fired up the mics. It's like you want the best story. You know, yeah. you, you want the, the background. Why Malone left Utah 
the town and state that you know absolutely just adored him for almost two decades to have a chance to pick up a piece of jewelry. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, and and so there's another facet to this too, and that's that. Uh, you know, it's very simple as a fan. You want your team to do well. Um, but when you're a player, everyone on your team is also a competitor. Yeah. And that's a reality. And, and you'd like to think that it's not that way, but it is. And, you know, th- most of these guys try to be as good to each other as they can. But they're all competing. Well, the synergy on is very important, you know. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. <laughs> you're, you're right. And that, that's, that's an interesting balance, too, is you have to play with these guys. But you also have to compete against your teammates. And... You know, it's it's again harder to be a fan of a team when you realize that a lot of these guys would rather that they start, really, than than that the team would win, and that you'd be the same way in their shoes. You'd be the same way for sure in their yeah. shoes. Well, you take the guy, you know, the 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 third guy on the death chart catching for the Milwaukee, you know, Milwaukee Brewers and stuff like that. He was probably the single best baseball player in his state the year that he graduated from high school. If he went to college, he was probably the best catcher on that team for at least two, whatever, however long he's tenure. Right. And then he jumps to the major leagues, and he's lucky to be in the bullpen catching the warm-ups. You know? and, and he didn't grow up thinking, I want to help any old Bre- major league yeah. team, the, the Brewers. I want to help the Brewers win games however I can do that. No, he, he wants up, to be in Cooperstown. He, he, right. Yeah, right. He wants to jump all that. He wants the accolades and the credit and the money and the fame and the success that goes with this. But when it's all said and done, he is now the 122nd best catcher in the game. And I don't know who the third on their depth chart is. <laughs> <Sorry. don't> <laughs> so, on the off chance he's listening, but, <laughs> you know, it, but it, it is weird. And, you know, and you talk about, you know, my father, I'm going to put through the ringer just for one second, is that with his career as a, uh, as a medical director for these different HMOs and stuff, he bounced around the country quite a bit. And so because he's a sports fan, he just chooses to enjoy the team that's in the proximity he lives in. And. I've always kind of questioned, like, why you're born in Detroit, raised in Oakland, why are you not a Tigers and A's fan? It's like, well, because I live in Connecticut now and I'm close to Boston, and it's a lot easier and, frankly, more fun to be a fan of that community. And so he has no loyalties to the players. He has none. His organization is basically geography. You know, and I, I bet you a majority of these players feel the exact same way. I, you know, Piper, you brought up the, the point at the very beginning about, um, you know, do you cheer for – the team or do you cheer for players for me it, it depends on the league and it depends on the team because like the nfl i'm a players guy i i enjoy watching peyton manning play um i don't enjoy watching tom brady play so um you know i like to watch tom brady lose i'm just that guy <laughs> you know but but there are guys adrian peterson i love to watch him play the nfl i i love I cheer for players like you're talking about like Kevin. You were talking about like um, Kevin Durant mm-hmm. that you were like, yeah, I, I can kind of relate to him. I don't know anything about Peyton Manning other than, you know, he, he's in the Buick commercials. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's all that I know. But I'm like, yeah, he's my boy. And, you know, my kids, I'm like, yeah, cheer for Peyton Manning because, you know, why not? You know, he seems like a good guy. But then like in baseball, I'm a, I don't care who's wearing the Cubs uniform. I cheer for the Cubs as bad as they are. I cheer for the Cubs. Um, so if Tony LaRusso jumped ship to go coach to manage from the Cardinals to the Cubs. He's just now the Cubs manager. The first inning, I, I would boo him. You, you have to. <laughs> you have to. But after, but the second inning, I'd be cheering him. By the yeah. second hot dog, you're cheering yeah, Tony. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, the second hot dog I ate in the first <laughs> inning. But yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Yeah, uh, for me, it, it's the jersey then. And for baseball, it's the jersey. I. I'm a strict Cubs guy. Now, there are guys, there are other players in the league, especially the American League, who I'm like, you know, I want to see that guy play. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I lived in Chicago, I used to I would go to games because I'd want to see a guy pitch or I'd want to see a guy hit just to see that guy. And then it wasn't as much as much of the jersey as it was the guy like what, what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the natural by the a follow up question I would have to you is like, do you play rotisserie baseball? Do you play fantasy football? I mean, do the players contribution on the field benefit you personally with like a fantasy team? Or is it literally just that it's the fandom? It's like, I dig this dude. Like, Adrian Peterson is my guy. Yeah, no, it, I, I, I do both. But it, it was it was a case of, you know, I, I just I, – I love to, to watch guys who are considered the absolute best at what they do. Um, I, I've been very fortunate. I got to see Tiger Woods golf once. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably debate, but I've seen Martin Brodeur play goalie in the NHL. Um, I saw Patrick Waugh play goalie in the NHL. Patrick Roy? <laughs> Whatever, yeah, it, sticking in line Nevada, with your Mister Nuts, and I can't guys. pronounce half the counties in Utah. Uh, you know, it, Barry Bonds uh, hit a baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, I, Roger Clemens pitch. It just guys like that who I went out of my way to see them because I wanted to see the absolute best of what they do. Um, you know, LeBron James play basketball. Yeah. Um, I, I, I saw. I got to see. I was fortunate. I got to see Michael Jordan play. Um, it just to see it's it's that that guy who is considered the best at what he does. It for me, it's special. It, it's special to see that much talent, um, and it's so rare that you know, it, it, like in this business, it's you don't. It, if you're a reporter, you don't really get to see the best reporter in the world write a story. And if you did, it'd be really boring because you'd be like, hey, hey, what letter did you hit there? (laughs) Shut up. I'm doing my job here. You know, but just to see someone who's considered the absolute best of what they do in the world, it's special. I had the chance to see Nolan Ryan pitch uh, back in the day. And it was he was with the Astros and playing the Padres. And I remember my grandfather who took me to the game. I was booing him the entire time, making fun of his name, Nolan, thinking I was (laughs) the funniest seventh year, a seven, uh, seven year old in the stands. And my grandfather literally stopped me in the third. He goes, you know, he's you're watching one of the best. Yeah, you know, and it kind of calmed down and put it all in perspective and stuff like that. But I'm in agreement with you. It's like you do want to see the best of all the athletes, you know, and the best of all the venues, you know, from the the Triple yeah. Crown that's being run and to the Indianapolis 500. Even if you don't like roundy sports, right? You know, but you want to participate in that. And as a reporter, it's like, how do you pull back from that fandom, and then how do you kind of just appreciate the moment? Yeah. You know? Or is that or is that the goal in your writing, Matt? Is that you want to encapsulate that spirit when you're at an event that you see something, for lack of a better word, magical? Yeah, you know, I mean, well, we were talking before we got on the air about this, too, and I, I think that it, it becomes very easy not to be a fan when you're covering the team because you're just hoping for, for emotion. You're hoping for something unusual to happen uh, that will sort of liven up your report because that's what the game becomes for you then. And so, you know, if something magical is happening, uh, you might feel a little euphor- euphoric about what your report will then be. But even then, you're still, uh, you know, if anything, you're stressed because you're trying to take all this in. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're not, you're not experiencing it. You're trying as as much as possible not to experience it, so that you can you can remember everything that happened and and convey that to people who weren't there. And also, you know, you, you need to be objective on it as well. I mean, you're a, a beat writer for the University of Utah, so you cover everything from football to gymnastics. You know, and so. When you see something spectacular, you know, maybe in a, a swim meet, you know, like uh, like pulling back, it's like you're you're trying to probably remember, like you're saying, remember as much as you can, mm-hmm. you know, find the best story, you know, and that's probably, you know, I would argue the, the, the best part of this job 
you know, it's not the, the benefits and the pay and security of job, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, being able to be the witness, you know, and it's sort of like I like I was there and this is what happened. And gosh, darn it, you should have been there because you would have enjoyed this as much as I did, mm-hmm. you know, but. Well, in the time that you've been here at the Tribune, what are some of the things that you've seen? You know, like give us an example of one of these things. You know, like something because I know uh, you. Or, or maybe over your entire, or maybe since your, college yeah, might be a better example. Yeah. Them, well, yeah, I mean, because I haven't covered any games at the Tribune, so right. so as far as live events go, um, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of that for me here. But you know, just for my first job in in Durango, Colorado, covering high school sports, um, you know, I remember traveling with the the local Durango Demon uh, 5A football team and and this you know D- Durango's offensive linemen were like 160 pounds and somehow they'd made it they had this miracle season they made it to the state playoffs and they they traveled uh, you know I think to to gosh I want to say it was Colorado Springs uh, and they just got pummeled I mean they, it, it wasn't a even thumping. close a thumping yeah and then after the game you know I I walked into the locker room. Um, and, you know, emotions are just incredible after these high school teams lose or win yeah. in, in the state playoffs, as you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was sort of a, a, a surreal feeling of, of not – of having talked to all these kids and these coaches so much throughout the season and of having sort of wanted to see them do well on a personal level. But then also, even writing for a small-town paper where, where you know – ultimately my goal was was probably to write for these parents I still was detached and you know I still was was approaching this from a writer's standpoint and I wasn't really feeling the emotion that they were feeling yeah, yeah. that may be the first time I sort of remember uh you know being struck by how different it is to to be a reporter than it is to to be a fan hey, to kind of follow up with that Matt you know you you mentioned that that the difference there what would you say is the most uh, the hardest interview you've had to do um, and and why was it tough? Well, you know, I off the top of my head, I think I'm going to have a tough time coming up with with anything in particular. But um, it's always difficult to ask people, uh, you know, why things didn't work out. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, it's hard because you're writing something f- for interested readers. But there's no way that you can really look somebody in the eye and tell them that this is this is doing them a service. Right. And, you know, there after after tragedies happen. I was a general assignment reporter for a little while, and you have to call people up after a loved one has died and, yeah. and talk to them about that. And and there's really no service you're doing them. And you can try to tell them. You know, some people try to tell them, look, this will this will be the last time I'll bother you. Then you'll be on the record, and this will this will benefit you in that way. And maybe that's true. But for the most part, you're just looking for a story at that point. Yeah. And it becomes really clear. And, and if you're like me, you get really nervous. Yeah. And, and it, that shows, too. You know, people, especially in times of grief and, yeah. and s- serious emotion, they're wary anyway. And they, they can hear that. And so that's that's a really tough thing about being a reporter. Is so it's so just like putting the empathy out there, you know, like just sort of knowing that like you have a job to do and you have to follow through on this. And you regret having to make this call, but you still have to make the call. Right. Yeah. I mean, those are always tough because you're, you're really not helping these people out. And in a a lot of these situations, if you were advising them, you'd tell them not to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for, for instance, okay. Um, you know, I, I did a story, uh, following up the, 
the uh, the cop who who uh, in the murder suicide killed killed his family. Yeah. You know, and you know, talking to people about him, people who knew him are always going to sound like they're making excuses for him, and they're very careful to try to not, but they always do. And yeah. and then you go and look at the comments, and people are just, you know. They're furious that these people, that, that these friends of this guy could be saying positive things about him. And what they're trying to do is express the nuance of this guy's life, that in some situations he wasn't like this, you know. They're not trying to condone what he did. And as a reporter, there's no way you can do these people a service. Yeah. And that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. We got off to- I got off topic here a little <laughs> bit, but, yeah. You know, it's like when we're talking about writing good stories, uh, this – the the last one I did for the papers, I went and covered the five A tennis tournament stuff, and you know you it's a you've got five different brackets: first, second, third singles, and then first and second doubles. And so, at the end of it, you want to find the best story between all this. And Sam Tolis, who plays for uh, Viewmont, uh, he won his third uh, first singles title in a row, probably making him the most dominant tennis player in the state. And, you know, in trying to write that story and to get to all the interviews, and you've got they won the team title, so there's all this excitement at the end of it and stuff. The thing that really captured me the most, which is the thing that I regret not reporting on, is that there was this uh, kid who was in a mechanicalized wheelchair, you know, and he comes out there, and he was one of the first people to congratulate Sam, you know, on his, you know, dominant performance and stuff. And as he's out there, you know, Sam goes over and talks to him, and, you know, some, and the reason, you know, I'm going to say this delicately, is that sometimes when people are, are, um, are injured or they have a congenital uh, birth defect or something like that it might be hard for some folks to talk to him but sam had this calmness this ease and just this general esprit de corps with this young man and you know it was like this part where it's like i want to write that i want to write how he treated this kid and it, it to, my, to me it was like it summarizes what sam is you know like mm-hmm. he's a hell of a competitor but on top of that he's a good kid that's going to go on and do good things and stuff the problem is that sometimes you got 325 words and you need to write yeah. about you need to write about, you know, first, second, third, and second, first and second doubles, you know, and sure. some of these good stories that get cut out of the way. And I think that's been the most frustrating thing is that a lot of times when you cover sports, you're not actually talking about what's happened on the field or the court or, you know, at the baseball diamond. It's like you're looking at like, oh, it's a character study almost, you know, yeah. with a little bit, you know, that's the story. The story is that Sam's a good dude and he can also kick your ass in tennis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, was, you're right. I was a little bit off topic. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, before we get Kristen here, I had I was I I, I went uh, I went and uh, I, I threw a tweet out, sort of as a joke. But the more I think about, it, the more I like, it, and I just want to run it by you guys. Uh, so right now they're having a hard time getting a uh, Olympics put together for the 20, 2022. Right. You know, for the Winter Games, and uh, recently the mayor of New York said that for twenty four uh, twenty twenty four. New York City is backing out as one of the towns that are considering hosting the summer games and stuff. And um, I'm throwing this out. Why can't Salt Lake City host the 2028 games? The winter or the summer? Summer games. We'd no. be the first town, we'd be the first city in the world to host both the summer and the winter games. You know, is, it, is this something, would you think, if you, had, if, you, if you were on the board that was doing this, would you think this is a good idea, Kamo? No, absolutely not. Why not? Okay. No, <laughs> you don't have the venues. You don't have the venues to do it. Yeah, but you got like you got like uh, fourteen years to put them together. Uh, no, it, it, look, if you the the Chicago Tribune back, uh, it's been a few months now. Did it, uh, their uh, Olympic writer uh, Phil Hirsch did a tremendous column on how Salt Lake City is the 
perfect example of an Olympic an Olympic host and how Salt Lake should host the Winter Olympics and how it would be a good idea to do a rotation of, you know, select cities that they rotate the Olympics to and that Salt Lake would, is the perfect example of the way that they've handled the the winter, the, the way that the 2002 games were handled, how all the venues are still being used, um, that they were built to last. Um, you know, it, all over the Internet you can see photos of past um Well, the thing in Sarajevo venues. is, right. I mean, it's haunting. Right. You know? Well, Calgary, too. Yeah. Uh, Calgary, they don't use a lot of that stuff up there either. Well, in 1960, they did in Squaw Valley in California, you know, and that right. they still can use it. But the 60s games were different than a modern game. So exactly. That, you know, it being 50-plus right. years old. Right. Uh, it, it, the, the 80 games in Lake Placid, a lot of those venues are, are still usable, but they're, they're just too small. It, 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 isn't, it wasn't a modern-day games. I'm from New York, so if you want to complain <laughs> that Lake Placid isn't modern, whatever. But to try to do the summer games now and to try to do the same thing with the venues for a summer games, which would be completely different, no, bad idea. Well, it'd be, the, the way that I throw this out is that the problem they did with Atlanta and all, and, and obviously Sarajevo had the you know the civil war that decimated the uh, country. Yes, you, you know, got to give them credit for that. I mean, put them off that. But the thing is, is that what you said there was right. It, they were temporary. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't built to last, and it wasn't. Right. They never had an end game with it. It was sort of like we're going to host the best party on the planet for a period of time, and then when it's all said and done, well, hopefully someone cleans up. Right, you know? and they didn't. And, right, you know, part of the joy of living here in Salt Lake City is that there is a gazillion things that you can still. You, I mean, you can go yeah. curling. You could still do. Long, you could do the ski jump. You can go yes. to the speed, uh, the, the long speed track. I don't know. I just you break it up into five cities: from Logan to Park City, Ogden, Salt Lake City, and Provo. Five rings, five I venues. I don't think so. What? Ah. So we got what? We, we got Atlanta, uh, Sydney, Beijing, and then uh, London. Yeah. It's Salt Lake City. Uh, do, do we even have one? 20th of the population of any of those cities well, Atlanta probably but but uh, that was yeah well I mean we're one, 18 years ago now well you know it's obviously you got Sydney and working your way backwards you know uh, Seoul and then Los Angeles you know it's like obviously some of these are major towns but maybe that would be the appeal to it is that we know how to do it better than anyone else that we understand that maybe this is not a the world doesn't really come here but it's just a it is a digital Olympics maybe we're taking it that's the next step in Olympics is you go to a digital age where people can enjoy it from home in an interactive experience. Okay, you're going to need a bigger Olympic stadium. Rice Eccles isn't going to work. So now you have to build a new stadium. Where are you going to put that? Seater, probably. Right. Where are we going to put that? Harriman. Antelope Island. <laughs> <laughs> Harriman. Fair enough. All right. I'll, I'll give you credit. All right. There, there might be room out there. All right. So you need that. Where are you going to hold your water events? Ogden. Where? Water events? Pinecrest. Oh, hi. Hey, Chris Cambrani just joined us. I, you know, I think the thing is, is that it's not so much just with the water events. Like, so we need you. you we, take, we have some issues, Benny. No, 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 no. I, I would say like, so we need to build a cyclotron too, you know, uh, or a cyclotron. Is that how you pronounce it? A velotron. Oh, velotron. Right? Is that? Right? Velodrome. The, velodrome. Uh, you need a cycle track. You need, anyway. we, we need this. All right. We, we need we, someone we, to look that up what that uh, is. We, but. we need the cycle track. Um we're also going to need um, – well, we don't have to worry about baseball stadiums because that's not part of the games anymore. And not worth uh, softball. Right. Soccer, we've got in spades. Velodrome. Velodrome. Velo see, there we go. We need a velodrome. That's, that's why you're here, Piper. Yeah. Um, no, bad idea, Benny. No, okay. it's not going to happen. All right, well, I just thought I'd throw it around. When yeah. I'm commissioner on this, when I, when I am the um, Mitt Romney of the 2028 games, uh, you guys can all come and do PR for me. 
Okay. <laughs> Deal. 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 Chris, Seattle. How was it? Finally, you got a storyline. There were tubas for you, man. So Lots of them? So many tubas. Really? Yeah. Good They're... ones? The brass ones or oh, that yeah. composite stuff? Oh, yeah. No, they were shining. They were shining. Um, yeah, like like I've said, you know, I think everyone knew that this streak was going to come to an end, and it did so in resounding fashion. Um, you know, th- there was a good point made by, by a fan on Twitter is that, you know, you take – five of the of a team's best players out of the equation and you send them to Seattle, you know, you might get a similar result. You know, RSL was without Ramondo, Beckerman, Saborio, Plata, um, Chris Schuler was was out. So I mean you're affected across the board in so many different forms and you go to Seattle, which is a very difficult place to play. It's turf. It's a different game. You know, the Sounders are used to playing there. I'm not making up excuses, but I'm saying that you know, anytime you have you're missing that kind of group of players, it, it would be difficult, I think, for any team to go up there. That being said, they didn't play well at all. They got they got it handed to them a little bit, and it and it might be good for them. You know, I talked to Ned Grabavoy after the game, and he said it's always easier to to respond quickly to a big loss than a win. I was surprised they didn't respond more in the second half, like the PK in the first. From my vantage point on TV questionable at best you know whatever but i was hoping that rsl was going to come out in the second half and basically punch them in the mouth and i didn't see that it seemed odd for them not to come in bring it a little more i think people are understating how much they miss the core five well not the core well, five i mean you're missing saborio and plata who had a tremendous chemistry working they had 12 of the team's 23 goals through through 11 or 12 matches that's a, that's over 50 percent yeah and you take those guys out of the equation you take guys like Devin Sandoval and Olmos Garcia guys who are used to playing with each other maybe in reserve leagues or in training it's a different beast when you go up against the best team in the league on the road how is the venue up there when they play is it oh it's great it's CenturyLink it's where it's where Seattle? the Seahawks play Seattle. it's where Marshawn Lynch made the earthquake happen a couple times it was awesome I mean I Stayed downtown, took the 25-minute walk to the stadium, checked out the um, the march to the match in a in a like little brick square uh, about a few blocks from the stadium. Got the tubas, got the band going. The tubalubas. The tubalubas. Yeah. So it was it was great. I mean, I've been to Seattle many times, never been to a soccer game up there. It was it was fun. What was the so with something like this happening with it? They're going to be playing on Wednesday, right, in Columbus? They're playing Wednesday at Columbus. Yeah. So a quick turnaround, not a lot of time to think about this one. Um, it's an interesting week. I think, you know, RSL maybe looks at itself at being fortunate a little bit of, of how well they started, considering how difficult these next few weeks are going to be. Um, Alvaro Sabrio broke a metatarsal in his foot down in Costa Rica. He's out for the next three to four months. I mean, this is one of the best forwards in the league um, who, you know, obviously they were going to miss for six weeks if he went to the World Cup. But now he's out maybe four months. You're looking at the first of October. Yeah. I mean, there, there are three regular season games left in October, meaning that they're going to be without their all-time leading scorer essentially for the rest of the regular season if he's out four months so things are going to be difficult obviously they're they're at 24 points they're second in the league but it's not going to be easy by any means and I think this FIFA break might help them get healthy a little bit Mm -hmm. but still missing him and then missing Ramondo and Beckerman will start to play a role and I think you're going to need to see other guys step up what was uh when you were talking about playing up in Ohio what uh what do you think they can do to sort of put this bad loss in Seattle behind them? Score goals. They haven't scored goals um, in the last two games. And, and, and beyond that, they're not even creating that many chances, whereas 
when they had Plata, when they had Saborio, when they were kind of at full strength in the office, I mean, they were scoring goals. Eight out of their 11 first matches, they took the lead. Yeah. I mean, when anytime you can take a lead, you know, that many times, that's impressive. And now with some of these guys, these backup guys who – have been called upon there's just there's not a lot of flow going on and it's not their fault and that's something that you know RSL fans have been really you know adamant about it saying you know Sandoval and Garcia are struggling but it's it's more than that and that when RSL is in that diamond midfield they depend on those outside midfielders to get forward in the attack they depend on Javier Morales to create and help them so it's it's more of a collective effort than just the two guys up top after Ohio they uh, don't they play on Saturday they play Saturday here yeah. yep against Portland and you know, it's the same old storylines. It's, you know, Portland hasn't beat RSL in 13 or 14 matches. And Portland just lost 4-3 to three at home to Vancouver. Um, their coach, Caleb Porter, was very Jason Christ-esque <laughs> in the post-game press conference. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, these are the next two matches that will, will help propel them into when they pick back up after the FIFA break. Let's uh, talk some NBA basketball on uh, this weekend. The the table's finally set for the uh, championship game. Yeah. You don't? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't it's like the Heat and the Spurs. Yeah. Who do you got? Yeah. Gamma, who do you got? Yeah. Yeah, that, the Heat and eight. <laughs> no, I'll take the Heat and six. Piper? I'd have to go Heat and six. That sounds pretty good. Way to be original there, Piper. Yeah. I'm going with San Antonio. I think LeBron is the best player in the league. Um, love watching him play, but um, San Antonio is on a different level. And I think it took seven tremendous games from LeBron last year to beat the Spurs. I don't know if he can do that again this year. I got the Spurs in five. Oof. Really? Yeah. I think Spurs in seven. Spurs, Spurs always th- take a game or two off in every series. Though. That's true. Well, that's where they'll take one game off, and then they'll, they'll win in five. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, watching, it was fun watching LeBron get into foul trouble when they were playing Indiana and knowing, you know, kind of like the, watching him get frustrated. If the, I think if the Spurs can sort of create that frustration with LeBron, get underneath his skin, I think they could have a very good, uh, very quick route into knocking the reigning champs off. Well, I just saw this tweet from LeBron um, from Ethan Skolnick on, on the Spurs. They don't like us. I can sense that from Tim's comments the past couple of days. And it it is fun though, considering this is the first legitimate back to back finals of the same teams that we've had since Jordan and the Jazz. I mean, that was that rivalry for two or three years was those two teams. Mm-hmm. And you didn't really see anyone else getting in the equation. And I think I mean this year probably not. I mean, maybe OKC could have topped um, the Spurs and made it different, but I think it's it's it is fun to have you know that storyline and the storyline that you know San Antonio swept LeBron his first finals as a player back yeah. in 06. I mean, I think Cleveland didn't they weren't in any of those games, so th- there is a history between these two teams. So that's fun, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. What do you? <laughs> All right, well, we want to talk some hockey then. Let's give you let's get some <laughs> predictions. <then. laughs> I like the idea of a New York, L.A. kind of uh, Stanley Cup being set up here. Uh, anytime you have uh, those two cities. Two great hockey towns, two right? Great ho- yeah. Well, one decent hockey town. It wouldn't be Montreal and Chicago, you know? <laughs> which it could have been. But, Camo, uh, wh- wh- who do you got? Nah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a big Rangers fan. The Kings are. Do you have a nah. Mark Messier throwback sweater you're gonna oh, be wearing? Eric Lindros. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a New Jersey Devils fan, so <laughs> I, I'm not okay with the Rangers. Um, 
Uh, give me the Kings in six. Viper? Please I say Kings and six. No, nothing. Please say Kings and six. six. <laughs> Kings and seven because they haven't won a series this year without it going seven games. And they've won every game seven on the road as well. Impressive. Look oh. at you. Let's coming prepared. You read enough of other people's hard work, <laughs> you morph it into your own, and you become a professional. JK, sorry. That's funny. What is Chris, it? I, I got a question for Chris. Yeah. And consider consider your response to this because this is kind of a this is a weighty topic. But with Saborio out, who is now the most attractive Costa Rican World Cup team member? <laughs> oh man, I have to go Brian Ruiz. He's kind of got that long black hair flowing. Plays for uh, I think he, where's he at? He he's at Fulham, I believe, over wow, in this over is in the impressive. EPL. I really thought I'd stump you with that, but Brian Ruiz, man, guy knows his stuff. Let's see, let's see Matt's description of Brian Ruiz. I have to describe him now. Yeah, please yeah. do. He does have the long, flowing black hair. Um, you know, good jawline. You know, maybe a little weak on the jawline. Okay. Maybe a little weak on the jawline. You know, from from the top fifty percent of his head, uh, I'm with you, but I I think the you know the mouth and the jawline a little ratty. All right. Where are you watching the World Cup? I would imagine a lot of places. Um, I don't know. The the American Outlaws chapter in Salt Lake, which is the U.S. men's national team, kind mm. of diehard fan base. Their watch parties will be held at, at Bourbon House. Don't know how I f- necessarily feel about that. Um, I think there are some – no offense to Bourbon House, no. but it's kind of, you know, downstairs. It's a basement. Like, yeah, it's a basement. I mean, maybe yeah. basements get rowdy, but – I don't know. I feel like there's a place where you need to like bust out after like an awesome win where it's like, okay, we're going to go up a hallway, then find some stairs, then find some other stairs, then try to figure out how to get out of this business building to go celebrate a big win. I think it's bad luck to actually go into bars, uh, basement bars during the summer months. It's, uh, it's a basement bars or winter month bars. You know, I, and, uh, I, I could agree with that. And state, state your theories on that. I'd, I'd like some uh, – why is that? Well, it's because the idea is that – Everyone always knew your name at Cheers. Yeah, fair. But when you're walking out of a basement bar in the middle of the hot summer when the sun's setting at 9 o'clock, that looks like God's flashlight when you're, you know, walking home at 7 o'clock in the afternoon when it's just that great Salt Lake bright sun, whereas in the winter months the sun sets around 5. It's a little easier to kind of creep out of the place. That's why I prefer. Why are you leaving at seven or nine o'clock and not well, enjoying the establishment well, there, longer? Well, there could be an interesting kickoff where the, the the kickoff starts at one o'clock, and so when you're finally done, you're leaving at five or so. So when you're leaving at five o'clock from a basement bar, Ouch. it's as bright as you know. It's it's like looking into. It's like looking like when I said God's flashlight. Right. You know. Right. So uh, and then right with the lower ceiling, so you have the drop ceiling down the bourbon house. Now they got Some a great tall guy's gonna go. Yeah, and it's gonna go. <laughs> it's gonna go through the ceiling tiles. And the juicy Lucy burgers they got there are fantastic. But you know, it's, it's I, I'm in agreement with Chris on this. I think there could be better venues. And as much as I'm not a huge Piper Down fan, I mean Piper Down has the Piper Down. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> Matt Piper Down. But Come on, guys, my uncle owns that place. Does he? No. No, Dave Morris. <laughs> if you were related, to Dave Morris. You're a <laughs> you're a shade lighter than David Caruso, and I know Dave Morris. <laughs> Man, well, yeah, Bourbon House is is an attraction. They're obviously you know the the local soccer bars. Dick and Dixie's is a big RSL bar. Um, Republican probably be a Republican good spot. Republican will be a good spot. Um, probably Fiddler's Elbow Fiddler's won't be a bad good. place. Fiddler's as well as um, 
that place right next to Red Rock. Poplar. Oh. Poplar is a big R. Yeah, place it as is. Well. So, yeah, I mean, there will be a lot of watch parties. Gallivan's holding a watch party, I believe, for the um, June 16th U.S. Ghana game, which which will be cool. Is Bruby's going to do it again? Did you uh, say they, that? No. They, I think I – think, I don't know. We're live, and I don't know. Yeah. It's funny, though. It's, uh, we were talking about this uh, way off mic and stuff like that. Is that. Even though I work at a dueling piano bar, it's like when the RSL games are on TV, there is no action on stage. People actually congregate around the bar – Fans in gear watching it. I think some of it has to do with the fact there's a track stop right in front of the club. But besides that, it's really fun kind of seeing how contagious RSL fever is kind of in the city. And people, you know, they jump on it. Maybe the Utah Jazz being crummy this last year and with RSL having a lot of success, it was an easy bandwagon to jump onto. Well, I was just going to say that I think um, not necessarily a bandwagon, but it's something different. And I think maybe people here are starting to, to, like you said, see that it's an actual, you know, winning culture i mean mm. i think it took it's taken the state a while to really get on i mean obviously the diehards are there and it's and it's selling out but to have them get you know three or four sellouts early in the season is is pretty impressive and i think like you said with the jazz struggling i mean the bees are fun but the bees aren't going to sell out unless it's a fireworks game and the sandlot guys are there signing autographs yeah. um for rsl it's you know it's saturday night it's 7:30. It's generally nice. It's like, why not? Oh, it's best weather in the entire country. You know, on yeah. kickoff at, uh, yeah. at Rio unless Tinto. unless unless you're on the east side <laughs> and the sun is hitting you right in the eyes, and you're trying to differentiate the ball from just the floating blob of. I the went sun. to the test match against Honduras and stuff, and we we're on the east side. I bli- I blistered out there. I mean, and for the first half, and of it was a day game. It was man. Yeah, yeah. I was I was there. Luckily, Kevin Kevin was there too. We were in the shade. Yeah. And it was it was comfortable. I was in the sun for that one too. Yeah. But the fans there are just it's amazing. And obviously with an international game it's a bit of a different take. I don't know. I'm excited to watch a World Cup mostly because it's gonna get a chance to well, first off, it's a full a whole new stream of gambling you can participate in. And second off, it's just it's And that's important to it's you. It's important to me. Sure. You know. It's it's going to be fun. And I think um, we, we, we say this as a country every four years is like, this is going to be the world cup that draws the country. And this is going to be the world cup that makes the angry American football fan, you know, raise his arms in triumph when the U S scores the winning penalty kick. I think if there is going to be a cycle that gets people excited, it, it has to be this one. I, I think we've talked about this with the storylines that they have. I think people need storylines to get invested in something that they don't necessarily know. I mean, if you if you said that, you know, for example, if the Jazz were, were going to face a Jerry Sloan coach team in the playoffs in the future, people would be excited about that. Yeah. You're getting that with Jurgen Klinsmann going up against the country in Germany, where he won a World Cup, where he coached Germany in a World Cup, you have Cristiano Ronaldo, who everyone for mostly knows about. You know, there are billions of people who know about this guy for his abilities and his taking off of the shirt and uh, doing his best Aaron Falk impression. Um, and then with, with Ghana, you have, you know, they have essentially knocked the U.S. out of the last two World Cups, so... American are, American sports fans love revenge plots. Those are great storylines. Let me ask though, do you think that do you think that this the soccer denier is a big fan of Jurgen Klinsmann uh, leading Team USA on the field? That, that's and have, and a, that's a great question. Multiple German Americans. No, on, yeah, on the team. That's a fantastic question. It is it is interesting when you get into the intricacies of 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 international soccer because there are guys from Brazil 
who have gone to play for Japan at a World Cup. There are guys from Brazil who have played for Croatia at a World Cup because they've lived there. I mean, obviously they're phenomenal soccer players, but aren't good enough to maybe tap the first team of Brazil, so they find another avenue. Um, but it is interesting. We do have that pride, that pride factor of you know, America's American, and this is this. And I'm interested. I mean, maybe maybe that is a huge factor for a lot of people. Um, Let me ask you a question. Has Pele become the ambassador to the world for the three-week period? How much are they going to roll him out on this? Um, I don't know. I think Pele is maybe a little too old. Um, I think the ambassadors for this World Cup in terms of Brazil will be the players. Just because of what happened last summer at the Confederations Cup when there were those serious riots. I mean, this is an ongoing thing in Brazil. People don't really understand that the country – is so split down the line. I mean, they've spent billions of dollars constructing these stadiums on this World Cup and even for the Olympics in two years when the summer games are down there. And poverty down there is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is it is it is an interesting thing where you look at – it's almost like um, Sochi a little bit where the, the disparity between, you know, being ready – between what else is going on in the country maybe gets overlooked because of the hype, because of the ESPN commercials that are made. You know, people are so excited about what the World Cup means, but the fact that Brazilians who love soccer, who breathe it, who who just do it all the time, if they're not totally happy with the, their home country hosting the World Cup, that says something. I'm interested to see what happens this summer. I mean, there are going to be things happening down there. There are going to be protests. A lot of people are wary about what what's going on, the, the level of violence down there. It is kind of a bummer because as, as fans of the game or just casual American soccer fans, we're up here and we're like, yeah, I hope the U.S. wins. But there are a lot of underlying issues going on down there. And there have been some, some really serious reports um, Ray Thompson from ESPN did a great piece. You know, he was down there a few months ago, just kind of following, you know, the casual people around during these protests and what's going on. So that's it's something to keep to keep uh, mindful of because you know I think Sochi was was at the forefront, and then afterwards, ten days later, yeah, they they went into Kremlin. Yeah, exactly. You know. So um, sports are important, but it it is interesting to me how they kind of supersede a lot of like more important issues. Well, that's why we have a podcast, and that's why we cover sports, and that's why we're here. I uh, want to thank Matt Piper for sitting in with us on episode five of the so- Salt Lake Trib Prep, uh, Trib Sports Radio. Could be Trib Prep. It's week four. Thanks, Benny. Week four. Well, we we did week five. Uh, all right, we're okay. going to do that as the greatest hits in October. Fair enough. Yeah, but anyway, uh, big thanks to CK for coming in, and uh, as always, Kevin Winter Morris, great job, and Matt, thank you very much. Thank so, you. All right, burgers are ready.